Hi, my name is Christian, and I'm the student pastor here at Mountain View. And uh, if you haven't met me yet, or if I haven't got a chance to meet you, I look forward to that day. But today, at least, um, I can one-way communicate with you. And so, even though we're not together in person, um, hopefully we are unified by our belief in our community and God together. And so, um, I hope today it'll be a wonderful pleasure for us to worship God together and to learn from his word and from his spirit. And so I'm just really honored and excited to be here with you today. So if you don't know anything about me, that's okay. I love to share a part of my life and my journey and my faith story and things that have gone on in my life. And so I want to just open up today with letting you get to know a little bit about me because there's something about me that I both love and hate. There's something about me that I would consider good and consider kind of terrible, and many of us have qualities like this in ourselves. We think, I know I operate this way, um, and some of that is good, and some of that is bad, and sometimes they fight against each other, so let me make that real clear right now. I love adventure, and I am terrified of life, all right? These are just two realities in my life. I like to try new food. I like to visit new places. I like to talk to new people. And I'm also terrified of all those things at the same time. And I freak out and have a lot of uh, anxiety and worry about it, all right? So these, these are two true realities in my life that fight against each other sometimes. Um, and it was never more prevalent than when I took my first international trip outside of North America. Right, this was a recipe for disaster in this world of mine, and fun, right, of both, because I experienced both. And so when I was about 20, 21, um, I should remember, right, I'm not that old, but anyway, uh, I had a chance to go and do a class through my college in Israel, which was a really cool opportunity. But um, it was a short class. It was only for a couple weeks. And so me and a couple of my friends who were going, we said, if we're going to go that far and be on a plane for that long and spend that much money, do we only want to be there for two weeks? We're like, no. So we decided to book a little bit earlier than that. And so we bought our plane tickets and we were headed off to Israel. Now, there's a big difference when you go with the school versus when you go by yourself, right? Because when you go with the school, they pick you up from the airport, they take you to a place they have prepared for you to stay, and then they pretty much take care of you for the whole week, right? When you decide to go by yourself early, you have to do all of that stuff for yourself, right? Great adventure. I'm absolutely terrified, right? And so we're going. Um, none of us, you know, speak any other languages, even though there, there usually is a lot of English there. Um, and a lot of us, we don't, we've never been there before, we've never traveled this much before, we really don't know what we're doing, but we're young, and we're having fun, and I'm also terrified, all right? So we get there to the airport, and we, we fly in, and we go through customs, which is actually pretty easy, and then it's like 5 a.m. So every shop in the airport is shut down, and, and let me say, you don't actually fly to Jerusalem, which is where our hostel was, you fly to Tel Aviv, which is like 35... 30, 40 miles north of Jerusalem. And so we're there at five. All the shops are closed. We have no idea how to get there. And I doubt we have enough money for a cab to get there. Maybe, I don't know. And so we're just looking for someone. And eventually we find someone and they tell us that if we take the bus system that shows up and then we find the train station, we can actually get to Jerusalem. 
which sounds like a plan. Okay, that, think, that sounds doable. It's early in the morning. We should be able to make it there, right? So we wait around, and then we see buses start to pull up, and we get on one, and we think we're in the right place. And it takes us to the train station. It was the very first stop, and I, I think that's what the person had told us. And we get to the train station. The weird thing about this train station is that nobody's really at this train station. Not even really workers are at this train station. There's a bunch of machines. There's a bunch of, bunch of things you walk through, um, but that's about it. And so uh, we are kind of trying to figure out what to do. We don't even have the right money currently, so we found a machine there. That has a little English. We figure out how to get our money. Then we're looking at this big ticker board, and we're looking at, like, these ticket machines, and it's saying destinations, but it's not really, like, in English, and so we're not really sure where to go. Like, at this point, it's the, it's the starting of my terrifiedness. I'm having fun, but I'm also kind of freaking out. Um, but it's early in the day, so I feel a little more safe. It's, it's kind of fun. So we eventually get a ticket, and I'm about 60% sure, right, this is the right ticket. And then when we got on the train, I'm about 50% sure that's the right train. Not very good, all right? And we're on the train, and this is what I start to see. You guys can see this picture here. We, we quickly leave the city, and we end up in these hills that there's no civilization around. All right, there's not a lot of people on our train. Um, we're sitting next to people who, you know, it, it, it seems like there's a language barrier, like we're not really going to end up talking to them. And I'm thinking, if something was going to go down bad on this train, and I would attack in these hills because there's nobody around, right? I know it's not going to happen, but you have to understand. I'm terrified over here having fun, all right? So we're going through these hills, and I think there's no sense in changing. Let's just stay on this train as long as possible, and we will either end up in Jerusalem or we will end up somewhere where we realize we just have to, you know, go back. So not the end of the world. So we stay on this course, and finally we get to this train station, all right? And I have a picture of it for you guys, and here I took a huge breath oh, because I saw uh, like some words and some signs and some letters, and then it said Jerusalem on part of the sign. And so I thought, okay, we made it. I can relax, all right? That lasted very briefly, all right? Because we got out of the train station, and as you can even see in the picture, part of it is just like, not civilization, because what happened is Jerusalem's actually a big city, and we're looking for the old city, and the old city is actually a really small part of the big city, and so we actually just got into a train station that's really just on the edge of the perimeter of the big city. So we did make it to Jerusalem, but I have no idea where we are in Jerusalem, and I have no idea where we're supposed to go. This is a very uncomfortable feeling, all right? And even though I'm having fun, and even though I love telling the story because it's a great adventure of my life, in the moment, I was very uncomfortable. I was very terrified. I was very scared, even though I, I didn't think immediate pain was going to happen. I knew that it would get dark sooner or later. And if we can't find our place, I don't know. I don't know the future of that situation. It really freaks me out. And so I'm starting to feel this, even though I'm trying to keep it on the inside. Okay, so then we get out to the edge of the street. There's like a stadium under construction. There's like cars. There's no like commercial area. And we have no cell service. We have no internet. We have no international phone plan. And at this point, at least on the inside, I'm just freaking out. And so we just start to walk. We're like, well, standing here is not going to do us any good. We might as well eventually start to walk. 
And then we end up finding the store that it's kind of like a convenience store, but it kind of looks like a house. And so we decide that we're going to try and talk to the guy. His English isn't great. He tells us a bus number. We think, we think we have the right bus number. We get on a city bus. We stand out like nobody's business. We're like sore thumbs. And we're just riding this bus. And I'm just thinking, let's just stay on this bus until, until we're somewhere because we have no idea what we're doing. And eventually I started to see signs that said, Old City Jerusalem. And my heart was like, oh, we're going to make it. And then eventually I saw the gate, which you can see right now. This picture is the, the gate of the Old City walls that made me think, okay, we're here. We got off at the bus stop. We took our pictures. And then I was like, oh, wait, I can't be safe yet. We got to find our hostel, which I have a picture for you guys. Was just really this little cutout in one of the, in one of the tunnels in, in the hall in the Old City. And there's a restaurant on the first floor. And you kind of go in there and go up to the top. And so we finally got there. And despite, you know, sharing a room with like 12 people, it was like, oh, this is home. Oh, this is comfortable. I don't know if you've ever traveled or been in that situation like me, but I love home and I love comfortable and I love a home base somewhere to be familiar with. And when I was outside of that train station, it was the very opposite feeling (laughs) of when I finally got to that place. Uh, traveling for me, even in the nicest places, is uncomfortable because I'm just, I'm kind of a homebody. And even though I like adventure, being uncomfortable is, and scared is one of the worst feelings, being out of control. And, and one thing that I've seen this show up in my life, in my faith, is that I've realized that I have a hard time knowing that God's in control when I am not in control. I have a hard time knowing that God's in control when I am not in control. And so uh, some of you may feel that sentence as well, right? When I, when I was there in Israel, I was obviously had my relationship with God, and we're just talking about getting somewhere. So, but, but I don't think I really cared or sought God out because once I lose control, it really feels like his control is gone as well. And so some of you maybe are experiencing this in your life. If you've traveled, you know what I'm talking about. Or, or even if you haven't, there's still things in our life that steal control away from us. And we have a hard time recognizing God's control when ours is gone. And so uh, some people in our country right now, right, have lost jobs and lost income and, and lost ways to provide for their family. And so if that's you, that's a situation you know where, where it feels like all control is lost. And in that, we can feel like God has lost control as well. I've talked to so many parents whose worlds are being flipped upside down right now because they have to become teachers to their kids or they have to figure out how to motivate their student to do online school or they have to deal with their family being in the same place 24-7 and it can feel like all the control is gone. Some people have to uh, reschedule their medical procedures or their favorite rhythms or their favorite places to go have been messed with. Some of their favorite disciplines and routines are gone. And sometimes you have to follow certain procedures that you don't even want to, and it feels like all the control's being ripped away. And sometimes you, it's hard to recognize the difference between that and God's control. It feels like they both get ripped away at the same time. And so for some of us, the church is one of the safest most comfortable places that we would call a home in our life. Places that let, let us take a deep breath and help us grow and ask questions and, and feel safe and warm and loved. And so when church is gone, we feel out of control and we feel like God is no longer in control. 
and I want to talk about that very specifically because we can mean different things by that. I think a lot of us think God's in control in the sense that we think that we are safe and that he has us, and that we might say something like, I know where I'm going, and I'm secure in him. I, I think a lot of us trust in God's control in that way. But I think a lot of us, even without saying it, feel like God has lost control of his mission. His mission to establish the kingdom of God. And, and, and we might not say that, and we might not even think we, we do that, but when we survey our actions, we might actually realize that when we've lost all of our control, we actually feel like God's lost control because his mission isn't able to happen. And it's really important that we recognize that we feel that sometimes because it affects the way we disciple, right? Because the church feels like a really safe place to invite people and to disciple and to grow and ask questions. And when we're comfortable, we like to do the work of God. But the truth is, is when we're uncomfortable, Sometimes it affects the way we do the work of God. Sometimes it becomes really difficult for us to carry out God's mission because we've lost control, and so we feel like he's lost control in his mission. The truth is you may find it hard sometime to know that God's in control when you're not in control, just like me, right? Especially when we are away from comfort. But there is a great truth for you and me today. And that is, is that the Bible is full of people and full of stories of people who had no control, and yet God was able to accomplish his mission through them, right? One of the first major figures of the Bible is Moses. Maybe you've heard of Moses. If you haven't, he was a man that God called to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt, not a lot of control in that situation. Obviously, you control your own actions. Obviously, you can believe God's in control, but he's fighting against a system that is controlling people. A lot was out of his hand. The whole story of the Old Testament beyond Moses was of Israel creating a nation and then them falling and then them being ruled by other people and constantly losing control, and yet somehow God kept showing people a way to his mission. In fact, the story of Daniel, if you don't know who Daniel is, he had a great impact because he was, they were conquered by another nation. And he decided that despite not having control, he was going to be on mission for God. And even Jesus, to an extent, gave up control in his life because he was crucified on the cross. And so even the story of Jesus, to, to an extent where he decides to give up up control because he knows the mission of God will be accomplished. The Bible is full of stories of people who don't have control and yet they are able to accomplish God's mission. And the same is true of the early Christians. If if you've been with us or not, that's totally okay, but we're in this series called Scattered and we're talking about the early church from the book of Acts in the New Testament. And the book of Acts regards the movement of the early church and the spirit working throughout them. And so far, it's been pretty good for the most part. In fact, in the first parts of the book, we see an explosion. We see people growing. We see people converting. We see amazing things happening, amazing sermons, amazing speeches. And then recently, we realized that some of those things they said people didn't like, especially people in power. And so it led to Stephen's death. 
all right? And that's where we pick up today on S- in Stephen's death. And so this is what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, all right? It says, Saul agreed with putting him to death. Talking about Stephen, leaving off where that ended uh, that story. And then it goes on to say this, on that day... A severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. That day, all the Christians were scattered. Right? This whole idea of our series, what we're going through, is this idea of they were removed from their homes, and they were removed from their comfort, and they had no idea if they were ever going to go back. If we're going to be real, if I'm going to be real, that's a real challenge in my faith. I hope that I could be like one of these people in this story, but if there's any time that you're going to run into an obstacle that is so dangerous and risking imprisonment and even death, that's a time where you, where someone might give up their faith. We could understand. That's where someone might say, well, I had a good run, but I'm going to call it quits. That is discomfort. That is fear. But what does the early church do when they're scattered? This is what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 4. It says, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. Such a simple sentence, yet such an impossible thing for us to understand. Such an incredible act. They had every chance to give up. They had every chance to say, this is too difficult now. My life's at stake. I don't know if I'm ever going to go home. They're at the height at discomfort. But they believed something so truly about who Jesus was and what he taught about and his death and his resurrection and his kingship that they were willing to just go on mission for God and to just keep preaching his word wherever they were at. Today we're going to look at a story of one of those people in particular whose name was Philip. See, Philip was a man that we don't, we, didn't, we don't know a lot about from the New Testament, but we find out in Acts that he is so impressive that he has actually been recruited to be a part of the team that serves uh, widows and serves the poor and is in charge of, you know, deciding who gets what and, and taking care of that. And so he's essentially like a deacon who's high up working in ministry at their church. And I would imagine that a lot of people respect Philip and that he probably has a great community and people that he loves, and he has a ministry he's involved in that's really, really fulfilling to him. And yet he loses all of that. Philip is one of the people that gets scattered, gets removed from his church community, removed from his home, removed from his ministry role, which he loves. And and now he's out of his home city, and he doesn't even know if he ever gets to go back. And people would understand if you decided to give up at this point. But Philip believed something so truly about Jesus, about who he was and what he taught and his death and his resurrection, his kingship, that he decided to be one of those people who just continued to preach wherever he was at. And so instead of making excuses or instead of deciding to give up, he decides that he can do something where he's at. And so he finds himself in Samaria literally trying to find a place probably to stay and live and just survive. And he starts talking about Jesus. It says in Acts, he starts preaching about Jesus, the Messiah. 
And there's so much joy and there's so much healing and there's so many amazing things that are going on that, that he gets the attention of someone named Simon the Magician. Someone who I have to imagine people would know about. If you receive kind of this name and this status, I would think you drew some attention in this society. And, and Simon is so intrigued, he starts following him. And Simon is so moved by what he sees and what he hears that he decides to give his life to Jesus. This is what it says in Acts chapter 8, verse 13. Even Simon, talking about the magician, himself believed. After he was baptized, he followed Philip everywhere and was amazed as he observed the signs and great miracles that were being performed. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So Philip has done such an outstanding job in his city that not only has he captured Simon, this magician, but that the people in Jerusalem have actually heard about this, and now they're actually sending some of the apostles out to do even more work on top of everything that Philip has started. See, Philip changed the fate of so many people in his city. Philip changed the culture of a city because Philip understood two key things. One, he understood that the mission of God is unhindered by the location of God's people. And the second thing, and this is so key, if you don't walk away with anything, please understand this. This is what Philip understands. The scattered church should become missional, not miserable. The scattered church should become missional, not miserable. He had every chance, Philip did, to become miserable, to make excuses, to be upset that he left his home and he may never be able to go back. But instead, he was so moved about who Jesus was in his life and what he believed about Jesus and that Jesus was his king and actually altered his future that he decided to become missional instead of miserable. When we are uncomfortable, this is one of the hardest decisions to make. I can tell you from my trip in Israel, I was miserable a lot when I was very uncomfortable. And and I, I hated part of that because I knew that I was bringing down the fun of our trip. Now, a lot of times I was able to just keep that misery inside and survive through it. Um, But I struggled with that part of me because I I want to get everything I can out of that trip. But sometimes in the most uncomfortable moments, I, I couldn't find a way to remember God's in control even when I'm not. And so I was miserable. And and in my spiritual life, what I've found to be true is that when I'm comfortable, I I can do God's work. And sometimes really good things happen out of that. But when I'm uncomfortable, I know I am more likely to be miserable than missional. But I know that when I'm able to be missional, God does far beyond anything that I actually think I'm capable of. It is in those moments when God takes control that he actually shines through. And that I'm actually able to accomplish things and be a part of God's kingdom building in a way that sometimes I don't even believe I can in myself because because God is fully in control at that point. And so you have to ask yourself this question. When you are uncomfortable, are you inclined to be missional? Are you inclined to be miserable? Because your answer to that question is going to change the impact you have and the way you disciple and the way you work being a part of God's builders for the, for the kingdom of God. Are you missional or are you miserable? 
And if you're not, how do we change that? What would your life look like if you decided to be missional instead of miserable? If you found yourself in job loss or income loss or you're not sure how you're going to provide for your family, what does it look like to take that situation and become missional instead of miserable? If you are a parent and your world is flipped upside down and you are a teacher now or you have to motivate your student to do online school or you have to handle your family being together 24-7, what if you started to become missional instead of miserable? If you have to put off a procedure or change your discipline or change your routine or you don't have your favorite place to go anymore, what would it look like to become missional? Maybe have a new routine. Maybe have a new favorite place. Maybe do something a different way. And if you feel the most comfortable here at church and all of that has been taken away from you and, and, and maybe you don't even know how to be a part of God's mission right now, what would it look like to become missional instead of miserable about the fact that we can't meet in a church building anymore. The truth is, is that as great as the early church was, they didn't go outside the walls of Jerusalem until they were scattered. And when they were scattered and Philip decided to be missional instead of miserable, he actually did more work and reached more people than maybe he would have done before. The truth is that nothing can actually stop the mission of God. And this, th part of this attitude is what Jesus means when he teaches the parable of the talents. And, and if you don't know what this is, Jesus tells stories that are kind of like riddles that have a meaning that we have to decipher. And one of them is about talents, which has to do with money and how he gives some little and some a lot. And then what are the attitudes of the people and what they do with that? And part of that story, the conversation is whatever hand you get dealt, God expects you to be on mission. Instead, if you, in that story, if you get the least amount and you just play it safe and you're miserable that you don't have as much as other people or things aren't going your way or you're uncomfortable, you just are miserable. And, and the point of that story is that God wants you to be on mission. I believe that you should be missional and not miserable, especially when you're uncomfortable, especially when we're scattered. And, and, there's, and there's one key part of, of, I think, what changes our heart to be more missional, and this is it for me. You should be missional and not miserable. And the way you do that is by seeing people around you just as much as God's people as you consider the people you go to church with. I'm going to say that one more time. You should be missional and not miserable. And the way you do that is by seeing people around you and considering them just as much of God's people as the people that you go to work with. And so when we become scattered, we should become missional and not miserable because no one can stop the mission of God. No matter how uncomfortable we get, out of control we can get, we cannot stop God. I, I have been reminded of this and encouraged by this in my neighbors recently. And so actually right before quarantine, we had some neighbors move into our building. And I will be the first to admit I, I love relationships with people. I'm really bad at the first part. I'm really bad at the breaking the barrier, getting to know you part, right? Because I'm adventurous, but I'm terrified, right? So I like to meet new people, but I'm terrified of new people. And so luckily, uh, my neighbor is not. He's really great. And so he was very friendly and introduced himself to us. And, and re eventually, I, I found out that they actually are kind of like the youth workers for their church, him and his wife. And so we had a lot in common from that and started talking, and they've been nothing but friendly and kind to us. And then uh, maybe a few weeks ago or a couple months ago, um, I started to get knocks on my door. And it was my neighbor, and, and they have food boxes at their church, and, and he's just been bringing one to us when they get one for their family and just trying to take care of us. 
Um, and I was so encouraged by his attitude because here's a person who's had, you know, things just taken away and changed and, and, and maybe is uncomfortable, but he has decided to be missional in our neighborhood. And, and I can assume that if he's doing that for me, I, I know that he's being kind and generous to our neighbors around us. And it started to make me think, what, what if I followed suit? What if I faced some of my uncomfortable situations or maybe just the what's uncomfortable about meeting people or just anything like that, any, any part of that, and I started partnering with him? And then what if our community got to a place where they saw the Christians in their community being missional instead of miserable, and, and we actually saw like positive things and joy and healing and life-changing happening in a community? What would that actually say for people who don't know Jesus, who don't follow Jesus, who don't call Jesus as king, what would it look like if we were on mission in our communities? And, and, and let me clarify this really quick. On mission, I don't mean we knock on doors and give them a piece of paper and just talk at them. What I mean is we actually do the work of building the kingdom of God. We actually do sacrificial love and service towards our community. And we tell people about who King Jesus is because of the difference that he's made in our life. What if we were actually on that kind of a mission? That sounds like something that people might want to be a part of. You know what people don't want to be a part of? A group of miserable Christians, right? Who wants to be part of a miserable community? But I bet some people would be a part of a missional community, especially if it was based on the mission of Jesus. Because in my life, there is no mission like the mission of Jesus. I will be the first to admit that this discussion is challenging for me, and I hope that it is challenging for you too. But even during this quarantine, I have noticed that when I am able to be missional instead of miserable, God does a lot more work through me and in me. And I see myself transforming more into the person of Jesus when I decide to be missional rather than when I decide to be miserable. And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me today is that we will understand that the mission of God is unhindered by the location of God's people and that the church that is scattered should be missional and not miserable and if we build a missional community we will be a part of making the kingdom here on earth that Jesus talked about. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for who you are. And, and your truth that you provide us and your grace that you provide us. Help us to recognize that when we're not in control, you are still in control, God. And that there is nothing that can stop the mission of your church when we are basing it on the mission of Jesus Christ. Help us have courage and boldness overcome fear and anxiety and anger to get rid of our misery and to be missional for you and God forgive us when we fall short of your of, of the standard that you've set for us help us take a step this week maybe we need to get connected to you before we can even start to be missional maybe we need to try and be connected to you every day before we can start to be missional or maybe we know what to do and it's just time to to be aware and step out and look at people a different way. Ultimately, God, change our hearts, change our minds, transform us, help us have your spirit to love others and serve others and bring your kingdom here. Pray all these things in your name.
Amen.